other side of midnight. Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Yesterday was, of course, September 11th. We're going to talk a little bit about September 11th throughout the program. We're not going to make the whole show about September 11th because to speak about nothing but September 11th for four straight hours on a day which is technically September 12th is just too depressing for me. I don't know about you. Uh, So we are going to touch upon it in the first hour and maybe throughout the rest of the program. But there's one story I saw that uh, really upset me. I have been pretty critical of both Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney and Congressman Gerald Nadler. However, there is one issue that they have been right on the money on as far as I'm concerned. And that is their mission going back years to get New York City to release a stash of potentially damaging documents showing that the city of New York, New York City government, covered up warnings about dangerous air and health hazards facing New Yorkers after September 11th. Big story in the New York Post this weekend. The city is apparently, this is at least what the Post is reporting, the city is refusing to release these documents unless they are granted immunity from lawsuits. Now, this stance comes as Maloney and Nadler demand the mayor, Eric Adams, release all these records that have been kept under wraps since the September 11th attacks. Carolyn Maloney put out a statement. It has been 21 years since 9-11, and the city has still not come forward with information about what it knew in the aftermath of the attacks. There are thousands of 9-11 first responders and survivors who have the right to this information. As far as I'm concerned, she's exactly right. Uh, Number two, if the city does end up having to pay out some money in lawsuits because of their deception and their negligence, so be it. They should have to pay. That's exactly why they have insurance policies for. I hope Mayor Eric Adams does the right thing and says, damn the immunity, Let's let the people of the city of New York and the country and the world know what our government officials knew and when they knew it. So far, it's not looking good, but I'm hopeful that both Maloney and Nadler, and in Maloney's case, she's only going to be in office for a short time, but I'm hopeful that they keep up the pressure on this. Let's see what happens. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. I don't know that uh, there is a radio show in New York that has spent more time discussing pizza than this one. One of the pizzerias that I have occasionally spoken about, and a lot of you, especially those of you that live in Brooklyn, have spoken about it as well, is Totono's. Totono's is a legendary Coney Island pizza joint, and apparently it's being reported that they are now going to be shifting their focus towards distributing frozen pizza pies on a national level. I've walked by there a bunch of times in Coney Island. I've asked Coney Island callers about this. What's the story with Totono's? What's the story with Totono's? It has been closed since COVID, and a lot of us have been wondering if it ever is going to reopen. Well, now the owner, Antoinette Balzano, told the Brooklyn paper that the Brick Oven Pizzeria, famous for its thin crust slices, oh, it's so good, 
recently purchased new freezers and is training its pizzaiolos in the art of frozen pizza making. And she added that the Neptune Avenue mainstay is also mulling reopening again for on-site dining. They have indeed been closed for two years. Balzano said the pizzeria plans to launch its new business model by the beginning of October using Uber Eats to deliver pies citywide. She said its ultimate goal is to have Totono's pizza available in frozen foods aisles at supermarkets across the United States. Now, I don't know how good the frozen pizza is going to be, but I know how good the regular pizza is. And if they're going to actually be delivering around the city, including to Manhattan, I will be the first when we do pizza morning on Friday morning. I will be the first to order some Totono's pies. I don't care the price. I've missed these pies. They are absolutely out of this world. And look, I'm sure the frozen pie is not going to be as good. How could it be? But I'm going to try the frozen pie as well. Though I don't even know that we have any frozen pizza in our freezer. Because when you live in Staten Island or Brooklyn or New York in general, why would you ever need frozen pizza? There's always a hot pizza, a phone call or a text message or a click away. But I consider this very good news. I'm a big fan of Totono's, a huge fan of Coney Island. And I can't think of better news than that they may be reopening in short order. Let's see what happens. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. I am a lifelong independent voter. While I have voted for both Democrats and Republicans, I generally tend to vote for third-party candidates, particularly in gubernatorial elections, although I voted for plenty of major party candidates for governor as well. But this is one of those years where I am very frustrated with both of the major party candidates that are on the ballot for governor, and I wish there was a third option. Unfortunately, due to the onerous petitioning restrictions that Governor Cuomo and the state legislature put in place, they've made it very difficult for third party candidates to get on the ballot. Now, Larry Sharp, who's the libertarian candidate for governor, who's been a guest on this show, he went to court in spite of the fact that he submitted according to the Board of Elections, 42,000 valid signatures. They threw him off the ballot. They said he was still 3,000 or so short. So he was in court on Friday in the state Supreme Court appellate division. And he has a lawsuit to try and get back on the ballot. He spoke about it on his YouTube page or whatever his social media channels were about the importance of this lawsuit. More importantly, how else do we save the ballot, not just for this one, but for the next two, three, four years. How do we save the ballot for them, right? How do we do that? All the other people who want to make impact in this state. And to be forward with you, across the country, how are we going to have a a 50-state ballot access candidate in 2024 if we can't win this? This matters. And if we lose this, it will be a generation at least before there's any other real independent candidates that will be working on on a normal basis here in New York State. There'll be two parties, Republican, Democrat, and then two parasite parties, which are the conservatives and the working families. Well, unfortunately, after those arguments, the appellate division of the Supreme Court declined to put Larry Sharp on the ballot. And for the first time, it's now official, for the first time since 1946, we will have only two candidates on the ballot for governor this year. I think it's a damn shame. I know Larry Sharp says he's uh, going to run as a write-in. I'm going to vote for Lee Zeldin, but I have to tell you, even though my lawyer, my election lawyer, actually represented 
Zeldin and the Republicans and the folks that threw Larry Sharp off the ballot. I'm very disappointed in this. I wish they would would not have brought this challenge. And I think this is uh, not only the wrong decision by the courts, but I hope that the legislature sees the folly of their ways, limiting us to only two major parties, and as Larry Sharp termed them, two parasite parties, with apologies to any of the people that may belong to any of those four political parties. I think it's rotten, and I don't like it, and I hope that when people come asking for your vote for state legislature this year, you'll ask them to correct this horrible miscarriage of justice, which makes it impossible for minor party candidates to even get on the ballot. It's not right. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. I'm going to say two things that I never thought that I would say. Certainly not publicly, but even privately. One, there was a homicide on my block. Well, technically around the corner from my block, but really a four-minute walk from where I live. And two, I don't have much sympathy for the person that was killed. Here's what we know at this point, and new details may emerge and my opinion may evolve, but here's what we know at this point. Around 2 a.m. Sunday, there were two people leaving a bar. They were walking home. They were doing the responsible thing and walking so that they could have a few drinks and not worry about driving home. And they were accosted by an armed man who trained a gun on these two young men. These two young men are in great shape. They're wrestlers. One of them wrestles the gun away from the would-be mugger and actually breaks it in half. It turned out to be a BB gun. The other one starts restraining the robber and puts him in sort of a chokehold while his friend calls the police, calls 911, and waits for the police to come. While he's waiting for the police to come, the person that would have been the robbing victim, and who knows what else, has this guy, this robber, in the chokehold. Well, unfortunately, this person, who has a lengthy rap sheet, over 30 arrests, it's what they call a frequent flyer at our local precinct, this person died while in the chokehold of the person that was that he was intending to rob. Now, there were no arrests. I do imagine there's still going to be a grand jury investigation. I think because all the people were the same race, I believe they all happen to be white, I don't think there's going to be much of a racial outcry on this one. I hope there's no charges on this. But in general, I hope that people that think it's a good idea to rob someone with an actual gun or a BB gun, they think that maybe that the person they're robbing will do this to them. And hopefully it leads to fewer people getting robbed and assaulted, not only in my neighborhood, but in every neighborhood. I'm of the belief very strongly that if you commit a crime, not only are you responsible for the injuries of everyone you harm, you are absolutely responsible for your own injuries. No one forced this guy to commit a robbery. And had he not chosen to rob these two young men, he'd still be alive today. I'm sure he had a family, and I'm sure their mourning is lost. That being said, those who live by the sword die by the sword, sometimes quite literally, to be continued.